Forests are public green spaces that are planted with trees, bushes, vines, and other plants that, once established, come back year after year to provide fresh fruit, nuts, and herbs to help feed the hungry in a community. Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Food forests have many benefits. They enable food sovereignty by providing community members the means and the knowledge to grow and harvest food. At the same time, they build more resilient communities. They provide valuable ecosystem services, such as trees to clean the air and provide shade. While providing nutritious food grown organically, the food forest provides wildlife habitat builds soil, sequesters carbon, and encourages biodiversity. They provide valuable ecosystem services, such as trees, to clean the air. Anyone who is hungry is welcome to harvest and eat what is there. With all these benefits, why aren't there more food forests? Well, it takes work to establish one and work to keep it going. You met my two guests in this program in my last show. They are Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest in Austin, Texas, and Nathan Hunter from the Bronx River Foodway. These two individuals are taking action to build a more sustainable future for us all. Biodiversity is about protecting and conserving a diverse array of plants. Why is this important? Because ecosystem services containing a wide variety of plants are better able to survive and adapt when pests and diseases target and wipe out particular plants. As Umer explains, it's all about sustainability and about providing habitat for those all-important pollinators. You know, as we talked about ecosystem services, one of the main services is is conserving um, biodiversity. And, and a big reason for that is as, you know, our cities are getting bigger and expanding, right, we're taking away more and more of the untouched natural spaces. So uh, moving forward, it's kind of key to create these pockets of biodiversity within our cities. And so we, we hope that the food forests in Austin and the Bronx River Foodway projects like ours are these hotspots for biodiversity. And, and th- that biodiversity helps us get food. So uh, we've planted a lot of native both trees and herbs that uh, are hosts to different pollinators and, and other insects. So when I say host, I mean that uh, the the larvae of these different insects uh, will you know eat the leaves and sometimes even the fruits of these plants. And then eventually, when they become adults, they will pollinate our fruit and nut trees. Um, and then, in addition to that, you know we have birds that will come and eat some of the 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 uh, the plants that are growing there um and and a lot of native plants actually need uh to be you know cut or harvested or consumed to actually grow more healthily so so that's how we kind of increase the plant biodiversity is by planting a ton of native plants uh, along with our introduced you know uh, european or asian or african uh, fruit and nut species uh, that are in there we have a, a quite a few of the of these legume trees uh, like the huisash and the arroyo sweetwood and the golden ball lead tree and the um uh, Eve's necklace. These are all uh, sort of 
and and the the native mimosa as well uh, and they're all sort of in the same uh, family and they're all pollinators and they support tons of insects um and and they're also huge trees right so not only are these trees supporting insects they're also uh, which which then you know allow our native plants to reproduce faster and and you know be more prolific they also put nitrogen back into the soil which also helps it helps all of our plants including our native plants and Nathan, how does that work at the Bronx River Foodway? So at the Bronx River Foodway, uh, very similar to Festival Beach Food Forest, we also focus a lot on native species. Um, you know, native plants are, or native, nature is always a solution for um, a lot of life's problems. And so um, thinking about those native species, um, I was starting to think about um, how how each plant serves a purpose um, and are there plants that serve multiple purposes? Um, and so I often think about, is this plant a host plant um, for a species? So let's think about, is it a home as well as food? Um, is it home and food for multiple species? Is it home and food for just one species? Um, and so at the, uh, the food way, we have abundance of, you know, a variety of plants, but one thing that jumps out into mind is something like bergamot, which is actually a food source for humans, for insects. Um, it's a habitat. It, praying mantis love to live inside the hollow canes. Um, and it's also a great plant um, for, uh, for ground cover. So I think about like all these purposes, right? And the benefits that this plant offers. Um, and so, yeah, the going back to native plant species is a big way we, we, we offer that. And also by um, planting things that maybe are not edible. So grasses in particular is something we've been focusing on uh, to create more bird habitat, um, as well as like food for birds, um, the fall seeds in particular. Seasonality, I think, is a big thing uh, I would love to acknowledge as well, is just like making sure that when you're building a garden or an edible space, um, that you have seasonality. So there's interest every time of the year, not just in the spring, not just in the fall, but that each season has food for... Uh, You're for listening to Mothering Earth. I'm uh, Salwa Khan, and I'm here know. today with Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest and Nathan Hunter of the Bronx River Foodway, and we're talking about biodiversity. And earlier, we were talking about gathering data is biodiversity something you are also gathering data on? Yeah, and it's it's it can be challenging at times, but you know with technology, a lot of those things have become so much easier. Uh, I'd mentioned iNaturalist earlier. There there are other apps like that. I really like using that particular app for taking photos of different plants uh, that that sort of pop up at the food forest, and then also different insects uh, and, and birds. You know, I you because you can take a photo of those things and then upload them into the repository in iNaturalist, and not only does it tell you what it is. But also then it, it puts it on a map for everybody else who uses that app or the website to see what is growing. And uh, I really love iNaturalist because now there's the, there's enough data within their platform that not only is it more accurate, but then also researchers have used data from iNaturalist to then map out where different species are distributed because these species distribution maps are really hard to build, right? Because you'd have to have people going out doing field work everywhere to, you know, write down and document where things are growing. Whereas with something like iNaturalist, so many people have iPhones or Android phones and 
you know, with smartphones, so many people are able to take photos and, and put that data out there. For example, Austin is essentially the furthest south that spice bush grows, uh, Lindera benzoin. It, it, it doesn't grow really uh, pretty much any much uh, further south or, or west than Austin. Uh, and then there are other plant species as well. Oh, yeah, like the Mexican honey wasp. Uh, I think Austin pretty much is the, the northern range of it. So there, there are some cool species like that where uh, if, you're, if you're in Austin or New York City, there may be uh, plants or animals that that that's the edge of their range and with cities and you know the heat that they generate um it, it cultivates some biodiversity where you may not find those those critters outside so uh, iNaturalist is my favorite way of, of gathering data but we're also trying other methods of of collecting data we definitely can learn a lot from nathan and, and what the bronx river foodway is doing Something you were saying, Umer, that I want to just uplift um, was the fact that you're measuring the caliper of your trees. Um, and I think that's a really exciting um, way to start thinking about how we can start to see um, how our trees are productive and, and potentially, you know, sequestering carbon. Um, we, we, too, love our, our iNaturalist app. I think that's one of the, the best ways we've been tracking data, um, specifically around these pollinators. Um, and then I mentioned earlier the microbiometer um, which is a tool that actually, um, sorry, it's not a tool. Oh, it's a, it's an app on your phone. Um, and using some equipment that comes with it, a small kit, you're able to, um, uh, use this tool to, to cultivate soil and to understand the health of the soil. And so like, that's a metric, um, that we're collecting and we're able to hopefully offer some funders or to, to share with others just to get a context of what, what, what's happening in the soil. And I'm to, curious to be a though, part of larger, uh, what you're saying um, is you're inputting data into iNaturalist, but how do you get the data out to analyze it? With iNaturalist, they, like, if you are within the app on your phone, there is uh, an explore mode where uh, you can go, you can look up, uh, you know, what species are found in your immediate area. Uh, but you can also type in specific species and then zoom out to see where, how they're distributed, you know, in your uh, larger region, in your state, or even in your country. So that that's the easiest way to access that data. But... On their website, iNaturalist does have uh, an API, uh, an application uh, programming interface that allows you, like, I can actually, you know, download the data directly or I can write code to uh, call to iNaturalist's API and then get that data for any sort of analysis that I want to do. So I, one of my friends were, and I were uh, briefly looking at doing, looking at, you know, uh, monarch migrations and then correlating that with uh, milkweed uh, sightings across the U.S. Uh, we, we didn't finish the project, but we drew data out of iNaturalist to analyze. And it's actually, they, they've got a really good repository. They're quite organized. So you do have to have some technical skills. Yeah, to, to download the data. Yeah, you might need some technical skills to download data. But if you want to just explore, you know, what's in your area, the app has that explore feature where you can zoom out and, and you know, click on uh, little, uh, what are those things called? Pins on a map. I will just add that it is very accessible in the sense that um, folks that are maybe tech phobic, um, I am definitely someone who is tech phobic, um, even though I am a millennial. Um, I want to acknowledge that the app is very You're accessible. You're listening to so Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa it, Khan, um, and I'm here today to. with Nathan Hunter of the Bronx River Foodway and Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest in Austin, Texas. 
So all of this data that we're talking about is obviously going to have a use for someone. Uh, why are we gathering this data and what's it going to do for us? So one of the big reasons we are gathering this data is so that we can show that our pilot projects, with our, which are really, pro, you know, sort of proof of concept is what we're going for with these smaller projects. Right? I think both of our projects are about, you know, less than an acre uh, in terms of the actual area where food is grown. So uh, measuring that biodiversity for our small project size is quite important for getting grants, getting funding, right? Showing the city that the work that we are doing is actually having an impact, right? That uh, we have measures of tree size, you know, which correlates to carbon sequestered, biodiversity, right? Which could be number of pollinators, number of species, however you would want to define that, right? That is really helpful in uh, talking to the city and showing them that, hey, look, if we scale this project up um, or have multiple projects like this, we could actually have an impact on improving biodiversity. And then when we go to apply for grants, those are also metrics that organizations like the Salazar Center look for in terms of how the project is doing. Because it, it, saying that we're conserving biodiversity or we're better for uh, the planet is one thing, but actually being able to measure that and show hard numbers is, is another thing. And Nathan, could you speak to that? To add to what Umer said, um, uh, it is imperative that we, you know, are tracking these metrics. And I think um, um, it has helped me in the past receive funding, um, specifically through uh, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Uh, we were able to receive a, a, a decent grant um, to support some workforce development work that was oriented around really building more uh, bird habitat. Um, and birds, um, we were we were specifically focusing on uh, actually addressing some stormwater issues in the park, some legacy uh, flooding issues that happened in the park. Uh, since it was a former factory, there's a hard pan, um, a hard layer of soil that, that uh, uh, exacerbates flooding. And so we actually built a, a berm, a grassy berm that is both um, a way of absorbing um, quite literal sponge, uh, all the stormwater, but also um, it provides an abundant um, resource of grasses for birds to, to nest and to, you know, to consume food. And so I think, you know, those direct metrics that we were collecting supported that grant opportunity and allowed us to receive um, some significant funding to, to tackle some of some of the concerns, right? Like this was actually addressing an issue in the park. Um, but we actually use the fact that ecosystem services and, and biodiversity is so critical um, to access or to, to deal with that problem, right? To address that problem. So um, it's exciting. Um, I want to go back to the thriving cities challenge, which we started with. Uh, both of you received a grant of money. How will those grants be used in each of your projects? In Austin at the Festival Beach Food Forest, we're going to use the grant from the Thriving Cities Challenge to actually hire our first uh, paid staffers. And so, so far for since what, 2015, the Festival Beach Food Forest has been completely volunteer run. And so with our expansion coming, the city actually greenlit our uh, almost, what, five, six fold expansion from three fourths of an acre to a full three acre um, starting next year. So we'll need, uh, you know, people to actually be there 
all the time. And so we're going to hire um, a site coordinator. We're going to hire um, a, a food distributor, uh, basically, who would work with the uh, the pantry within the RBJ Center uh, to distribute food from the food forest uh, and also coordinate, coordinate getting food, uh, you know, to, to that hub. Um, and then we are also uh, raising some, you know, using some of that money for an outdoor kitchen. And the idea there is that um, we want this food force to be a place of community of, of that allows, you know, people to come in and not only celebrate, but also learn and having a proper outdoor kitchen is going to allow us to host classes, to teach people how to use a lot of the things that we're growing at the food force, just because a lot of people don't know how to use these things fresh from the plant, right? Case in point is olives. We have olive trees that that produce uh, olives and they need to be cured. You can't just eat a raw olive off of a tree. They're actually quite bitter. So things like that, you know, we, we're, we're raising, using some of that money towards our outdoor kitchen um, and that'll help us really uh, take advantage of the expansion and make it into what we're trying to call a, a sort of a hub for community resilience. And Nathan, uh, how will the money be used at the Bronx River Foodway? Yes. Yeah, so our partners at Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice, Siddhartha and David, um, who are at the helm of this uh, this opportunity and really connected me to this work, uh, of this collaboration, um, are interested in hiring um, borough organizers um, to really support this uh, NYC CAPS, NICE CAPS, um, the idea of supporting community activations of public spaces across the city um, and to bolster the case study that is the Bronx River Foodway. Um, most of our work has been so grounded in the Bronx, um, yet we want to build a citywide coalition and a citywide uh, policy around specifically, uh, you know, the f- or issues that relate to the foodway, whether it's foraging or other. Um, and so we need to build a citywide initiative. And so the idea is to hire borough um, organizers. I think furthermore, just to acknowledge that community resiliency is larger and bigger, more broad than just food. My work is so food-based, but the work that we're trying to support is much larger than just food. It's about uplifting um, culture and community. um, You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Um, Khan, and and I'm here today with Nathan Hunter of the Bronx River Foodway and Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest. Um, I wanted to just for a moment think really big and envision a future where food forests are plentiful and commonplace. Um, How would that happen? I think it has to come partially from policy changes. Uh, throughout you know cities in the United States, uh, I, I know uh, in in Austin, Fruitful Commons, which is the Festival Beach Food Forest's fiscal sponsor, has been working with the city to update their policies because uh, you know there is there are some restrictions in many cities, including New York City, uh, in in terms of uh, you know what a food forest. Uh, where a food forest can be because there is no fencing and there's food growing, right? So there are concerns with uh, littering and, and, you know, waste and, and things like that. So uh, we have to work with the, the people making policies to make it easier um, and maybe even incentivize people to create prod- food forests like ours all over the city. Um, and I think that, so that's part of it. And then the second part is, uh, is, communities actually taking charge of green spaces in their area or even not green spaces but you know spaces that are underutilized um and and sort of turning them green right so taking the initiative and taking care and taking leadership 
in uh, asking, you know, in within their community to create these sorts of food forests. Nathan, could you address that? What Umer said is imperative, addressing policy as well as um, uplifting the work that communities are doing on the ground. Um, I think acknowledging our past histories as a nation, um, as, as much as the local policy and, and histories is important, um, understanding that we are standing on stolen land and that there has been a long um, disconnecting of communities with land, um, whether it be food or just even access um, to interact with that land for spiritual or cultural practices, as well as just um, survival. Um, I think um, our work is 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 definitely um, the largest barrier are policies right now. So I think um, a, a deeper examination of foraging policies um, on public land and, and public spaces is something that would be exciting to see. Um, I think there are some deep concerns around liability that need to be addressed um, and um, around education. Just if we build these resources, we need to make sure that we're we're being intentional about how it how it's um, how it's done, um, so that some of the real concerns around over consumption of, of plants or, or the disappearance of of, con- of plants that have been conserved um, are addressed. But um, people who yeah, are I listening think, you know, to this program, how can they get involved? In, in that With the Festival Beach Food Forest, uh, we're in uh, pretty close to downtown Austin, Texas. So. If you are, uh, you know, in the area, please do come visit and, and volunteer, right? We have volunteer days um, that some of which are, are, many of which are actually open to large groups. So if you have a large group, you know, please reach out to us. Um, we have a website, festivalbeach.org, that is is brand new and it's, it's really cool. So uh, check out our website. You know, we, we list our uh, events there. Um, and then also donate, right? If, you, if you're not in the area, uh, but you would like to support projects like ours, please do donate. You can go to festivalbeast.org. Uh, we have a, a donate link there. Uh, we've got some big you know, expansions coming starting next year. So we could definitely use all the support we can get. Um, and then follow us on you know, social media. We've got, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. That's where we're most active. Uh, so those things are also on our website. Please do find us. And if you're not in Austin, but you would like to visit Austin next time you're here, come check out the food forest, right? It's COVID safe. It's a, it's a public park outside. Uh, you can walk around, you can walk your dog, you can pet other people's dogs and you know, you can try some fruits, maybe some herbs. Uh, things aren't quite labeled, but yeah, definitely do go and check it out. We have events there all the time. Nathan, how about you? I encourage you to visit uh, bronxriver.org slash foodway to, to learn more about the Bronx River Foodway. Um, Bronx River Alliance is the, is the organization I work for and helps care for this space collectively, along with partners at Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice at ympj.org. Um, you can find uh, most of the things that I post regarding the foodway um, or collectively that we post as from the Foodway by following us on Instagram at Bronx underscore River. Um, and I encourage you likewise uh, to, to also come out. If you find yourself in New York City, um, come to the South Bronx and find us at Concrete Plant Park, the Bronx River Foodway. Um, and we have regular programming during the growing season. The park is unfortunately closed this winter for some capital improvements um, and will reopen in March. So. That's just one thing to note, but we welcome you to come on out. 
And, a um, self-sustaining food forest, um, which is the goal, is a truly remarkable thing. Food forests use principles of permaculture to create ecosystems that, once established, need very little help from people. Yet they continue to provide food, shade, a home for birds and other wildlife, and important ecosystem services, such as cleaner air, better soil, and plants for pollinators. I hope they can become more commonplace in cities everywhere. They provide so many benefits. I can totally imagine a f future of cities all over the world where, you know, they're green and, uh, you know, their pockets of food forest spread out everywhere rather than them being like a one central park that unless you live next to it is pretty hard to get to. Agree. Let's manifest more neighborhood food forests, right? Every neighborhood should have a food forest. Remember, you don't have to live in the country or suburbs. You can be in the middle of a big or small city or anywhere in between. A food forest doesn't require multiple acres of land. It can be small, for example, an eighth of an acre, or it can contain a hundred acres. It just depends on how much land you can find for your food forest project. I did a little bit of research on the internet and found there may be 70 or more such projects in the United States. And there's a project in the United Kingdom, planting food forests all over England. I'd like to thank my guests, Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest in Austin, Texas, and Nathan Hunter of the Bronx River Foodway in the Bronx, New York. And if you've enjoyed meeting Umer and Nathan, two people who are in fact taking action to combat climate change, please tell people you know about this podcast and thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth your source for sustainable living news.